extend to you the warmth and the grace of Jesus Christ. This morning we begin our worship service with infant holy, infant lowly. And those words are printed in the bulletin this morning. Church, let us stand as we sing together. Infant holy, infant holy, for his bed a cattle stall, oxen blowing, cattle blowing, Christ the grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, um, especially on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you are here with us today. Our children's musical will be part of the service, so you have picked an exciting day to be here. Um, on each one of the pews, there is a friendship pad near the center aisle, a black book, and we'd love to have you take it and fill it out. Let us know that you're here today, whether you're visiting with us or whether you're regularly here, and pass it down the row so everybody else can have a chance to fill it out, too. You'll notice in our bulletin that there is an announcement sheet, and it has especially the worship services of the next week. Christmas Eve, we have services at 2 and 4 and 7 and 9. The 2 o'clock and the 4 o'clock will include a children's sermon, and then the children will go out to Bethlehem Village the 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock do not have children's sermons as a part of them, nor, nor Bethlehem Village. If you're trying to decide which one to go to, just know the 4 o'clock will be the most crowded. So um, um, if you would like to invite your friends to come, there are some of these postcards at each of the exits, and you could take some and hand them out to your neighbors, your friends, invite them to join us on that evening. Also worship next Sunday morning two services, and then on New Year's Eve, you see that we have a service at 5 p.m. with communion. This is also the last Sunday that you can uh, sign up at the Heifer booth to sponsor an animal to be given to somebody in need, and this is also the last chance to volunteer for uh, helping with Bethlehem Village on Christmas Eve. You see in your bulletin a list of people who donated the money for these wonderful poinsettias and in honor of or in memory of someone that they love. Um, so you can check out those. It looks so wonderful. Thank you, all of you who helped sponsor those. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we do give you thanks for this beautiful morning, for the sunrise, for the clean air, for the beautiful ocean, for the majesty and the splendor of this sanctuary, this house of God in which we, your people, gather in spirit with brothers and sisters around the world who this week celebrate the birth of the Messiah. May he be born in each of our hearts in ever deeper ways as we sing your praises and listen to your word and share together in the joy of this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, our Advent candle lighting song, I'm going to invite you to sing along with us on the chorus. You'll find the refrain on the back of the bulletin this morning.
is a time for God's people to reawaken their longings. We long for the silence to be broken and for the light that shines in the darkness. We long for the peace that passes understanding and to be reminding that, minded that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This morning we light four candles. The first candle is the light of hope, granting strength to the weary. The second candle is the light of peace that surpasses understanding. And the third candle is the light of joy that touches the depths of our soul. The fourth candle is the light of God's love poured out in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And so we sing together. Lead us on, lead us on to a Join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find in your bulletin. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. In this time of waiting, let true worship begin in our hearts. Let our praises rise up to the heavens. Let our celebrations spread new hope over a tired world. We gather this morning to worship our God. Amen. So let us stand and praise him together.
Stew News, and tonight we're here in the little town of Littleton, where every year they put on this great little Christmas pageant. This year, to celebrate their 50th anniversary, Littleton has brought in the famous director, Cecily V. DeVille. And how did we get Miss DeVille, you ask? Well, get this. She grew up in Littleton and used to act in this very play. Hey, here she is now. Miss DeVille, welcome to Littleton. Thank you, Miss Mayor, for inviting me to direct this Christmas pageant. This year we're going to make it bigger, better, marvelous. And a marvelous play deserves a marvelous title. Let's call it The Marvelous Manger. That does sound marvelous. Ms. DeVille, here are the costumes you wanted to see. No, no, no. Where's the glitz? Where's the bling? But these characters are from the Bible times. That's exactly pro the problem. Fashions change. Then what do you want me to do? Make them bigger, better, marvelous. Have you heard the latest? No, what now? Mr. Vell has rewritten the play again. It's bigger than ever. Now it's called The Marvelous Manger, a Cecily V. DeVille production. Did you get that up there? Yeah. Now, where are those new costumes? How's this? Better, but they need to be sparkly. Er, fix it! And about those cameras. They're backstage. Yes, but I ordered brown camels, and the zoo sent us tan ones. Fix it! And where's the manger? Right over there. It's the one we use every year. That is not a marvelous manger. It should have lights and stars. Fix it! Oh, oh, deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the seasons to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. Well, it's been two crazy weeks, and the cast have finally started rehearsals. Scene one, shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And action! Did you hear that noise? Look, in the sky, it's angels. Cut! It needs more energy. It needs explosions. Call my Hollywood crew and set it up. I don't think there are explosions in the Bible, although that night was, that Jesus was born was pretty dramatic. There were shepherds in the fields and a bunch of angels singing. Glory to God in the highest. I guess that was pretty explosive news. Yeah, the God who created the universe came to earth as a baby and saved us all. There were shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night. And they 
Deville is changing everything. We finished your new manger. Magnificent. And the new king's crown are three feet tall. Magnificent. Miss Deville, with all these bigger props and sets, I think we should do the plain Kingersley Hall. Doing it in the sanctuary just feels so religious. Besides, it'll be easier to fit in the camels. Magnificent. Wait a minute. Cecily V. DeVille presents Manger Magnificence. <laughs> well, our famous director is even rewriting the Christmas story. Scene two, Arrival of the Wise Men. And action. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. Time. I think it's kind of something wrong. Cut. Where's the third wise man? We're still trying to make his crown stay on. Like that one? Yeah. Like this one. <laughs> and where are those camels? We're painting them brown. Okay, okay. Wise man, your lines are boring. So let's try those new lines I wrote for you. And action! A penny shaves a penny earned. Never one with scissors. Cut. Perfect. And the dancing camels will be a real showstopper. I'm thinking the show needs to be stopped. I mean, the Bible said that the wise men saw God start in the east and came to worship Jesus. There were no lighted mangers or dancing camels. Although when Jesus was born, many people were expecting something, well, magnificent. They sure weren't expecting the king of kings to arrive with a tiny little baby in a plain little manger. Here, Ms. DeVille, maybe you would like to read the original story again. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping with angels green and anthem sweet with shepherds watch our keeping what shall we call him king of kings what shall we call him lord of lords prince of peace everybody. I've done a lot of unwriting and I think this is going to be the best Christmas pageant Littleton has ever done. Even so, while they're in Bethlehem, it was time for Mary's baby to be born. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there is no room for them in the inn. Keeping their sheep on a cold winter. 
Well, how do I preach about David and Bathsheba after that beautiful presentation here this morning? <laughs> how beautiful our children are telling the good news of the gospel. How beautiful the young people of our church are in their many activities, from Sunday school to youth fellowships to mission outreach. How beautiful are all the disciple-making programs that we have for our adults, for our outreach into this community to the ends of the earth. We are a blessed congregation, many spiritual gifts, with much to give. And so it's my responsibility this morning to remind you that there's another form of giving, <laughs> and that is your financial giving. And uh, between this Sunday and the December 31st, in order to meet our expenses this year, we need to receive about $170,000. Every year, it seems like we come in on a wing and a prayer. But we make it. And we can make it this year. And I just encourage you as an expression of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his mission in the world to respond to this appeal from your church. Let's pray together. Lord, um, may your Holy Spirit move upon us. We thank you so much for the way you love us for the privilege of being members and friends of Laguna Presbyterian Church, with our many concerns and outreach, the celebration of worship here in this beautiful sanctuary, Lord, we just ask that you will keep us faithful as we seek to do your will. We ask in your name. Amen. I want to read a portion of um, the genealogy of Jesus. We've been working our way through Matthew chapter 1. And this is a, a fascinating, fascinating, extremely interesting portion of Scripture. Who would have ever thought that's, that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, could pack so much important theology into this list of names? I read just a few of them an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hazron, and Hazron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Zalman, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. In verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know that the story of David has captured the imagination of artists in every century. And his story has been told over and over again. This story from approximately 1000 BC. And it is one of the most human stories that we find in Scripture. It is a story of God's being at work in this man's life from his childhood to the moment of his death. I love some of the great paintings 
of David and Bathsheba. One of them hangs in the Louvre in Paris. It's a picture of Bathsheba in her bath, alone, naked, seated, looking down at a note that she had just received from the king. And she has a troubled look on her face as she looks down and as she realizes that this note is inviting her to a dalliance in the palace while her husband Uriah the Hittite is away doing battle with the enemies of Israel. And the expression on her face captures the existential anxiety and fear that she has as, as being a servant of the king and under his command, and she must decide whether or not to accept this invitation. And we all know what she did out of concern for her own life and for the life of her husband and his advancement in the kingdom. She went into David, and he knew her, and she conceived and reported to the king later that she was with child. Now, David being the man that he was, and by the way, he was um, filled with all kinds of passions. David had eight wives. He had 21 children and a harem of concubines. So when he heard this news, maybe this is not the first time he had heard news like this. But this time he panicked. And he sought to cover up what he had done in committing adultery and later in having Bathsheba's husband put to death. He calls Uriah back from the battlefront. on the assumption that he would go into the comforts of his own house and as a result of that then discover that he was the father of this child. But rather than doing that, Uriah was so committed to his cause, he slept in the street. He would not go into the house. Trouble for the king. Finally, David, after trying to convince him to go back home to have some comfort, he, he brings him into the palace and wines and dines him, uh, liquors him up, thinking that if I get him drunk, surely he'll go in, but he ends up sleeping on the porch of the king. And the only option that is left is that he writes another note gives it to Uriah and sends him back to the front to give to the military commander to put him at the very front of the attack so that he could be killed. And sure enough, he is. And the report comes back that the battle went okay, but Uriah, your servant, was killed. And after an appropriate time of cover up and grief and after things had settled a bit he brings Bathsheba into his house as another wife she has the child the child dies David and Bathsheba grieve. And then later there's another son born to them named Solomon. Now let me remind you, this is the golden age of Israel. And if you can only imagine the politics of this whole thing, David grows older. He comes to, his, his, to the end of his years. The story told in 1 Kings 1, 
This time he is weak and he's bound to the bed and at that stage he is old and cold. He cannot get warm. Have you ever been like that? Cold with teeth chattering? And his friends decide to find the most beautiful virgin in the land and bring her in to sleep with him to warm him up. But even that doesn't help. One of his sons from another mother, Adonijah, decides that he's going to knock the old man off, our sponsor, a coup d'etat, and he does. He seeks to overthrow his father, but when the word gets out, Bathsheba comes into the old man and says, you promised that my son, our son Solomon, would be installed on the throne. David remembers, and they hatch a plot to anoint Solomon, and he becomes the king. But before the story sort of wraps up, and King Solomon becomes known for the wisdom of Israel. He has all of his competitors killed. Simply because his dad, King David, told him to. Now I want to ask you, what's a story like this doing in the genealogy of the Messiah? I mean, it tells the story honestly. It tells us with a certain amount of coolness and humility, with humor. We do not know whether to laugh or to cry at the Bible's honesty about the human condition. David was a man of his time, and he had the reputation of being the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote many of the psalms. He wanted to build God a house. He comforted King Saul. He protected King Saul. He was a man of war, and he was in many ways romanticized as being the greatest in the history of Israel we think of what some of the sculptors have done with David, Michelangelo's famous 14-foot marble statue in Florence, Italy, the most perfect statue of David just before he killed Goliath, most perfect sculpting in the history of the world. Maybe you've seen a, a copy of it at Forest Lawn in Glendale. Why do we have in this genealogy the people that we have? Tamar, who played the role of a prostitute, Rahab, the harlot, Ruth, the ambitious, assertive woman, beautiful story, and Bathsheba. Uh, and some have said that Matthew simply did not like Bathsheba and left her name out of the genealogy just called her the wife of Uriah, the mother of Solomon. These women's names are in this list along with the other men in the list from Abraham to David and later in order to make a point about the fallenness and the brokenness of the human condition. And this is difficult for those of us who want to romanticize the biblical characters because we are faced up front in the beginning of the Gospels in the New Testament with the story of people who were imperfect in every way. And yet, whose lives represented, as Eugene Peterson said in his book, The Jesus Way, the raw material with which God works in order to shape and form our lives. 
So what Matthew is doing is that he is preaching the gospel to us. And he's talking about the way of Jesus and the way of David, not as the way of perfection, but the way of imperfection. How important is that for us? Peterson said there's a theology of perfection that always invades the church. We want people to think that we've made it, that we've got it all together, that we no longer have problems, our sins, only to read from the beginning of the gospel that the most important people in the history of Israel and the history of the people of God were all broken, fallen, sinners, who at times could do glorious things and were profound witnesses, but in moments of vulnerability, they bore witness to the fact that there are no plastic saints in the biblical story. There's just flesh and blood people like me and like you. We don't have to read the newspapers very long to be reminded that the line of sin runs through the heart of every human. And every one of us is capable of doing exactly what David did and Solomon did and all the others in the list. It's not the way of perfection but it's the way of imperfection, of God working through the events of our lives on the raw materials of our lives to give to us the mind of Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate this season. In the late 19th century, there was a family in America. It was a very influential family. I told, by the way, a group of pastor friends this week who were in our office that I was going to preach on the David and Bathsheba and we're preaching on the genealogy and he looked with a smile on his face. He says, oh, that's an ugly family story. <laughs> it kind of is, isn't it? And if you listen to it just on its own terms, without the lens of the mercies of God, it could be really bad news. <laughs> but the family in the 19th century was Lyman Beecher's family. Lyman Beecher was an old Calvinist preacher, seminary president in the early part of the 19th century who was married to many different women over time with childbirth in that century in which so many women died, Lyman Beecher ended up having a number of wives and many children, and he was identified as a saint. And he had you know, all these children, and two of them became very famous in the 19th century. Harriet Beecher Stowe, ever heard that name? She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. She was a profound writer, and she exposed the evils of the institution of slavery in America. Was always dabbling in politics and giving Abraham Lincoln troubles in her lectures. And then there was Henry Ward Beecher, who became one of the famous spellbinder preachers of the 19th century. He was a megachurch pastor. In the late 19th century, Yale Divinity School established a series of lectures called the Lyman Beecher Lectures on Preaching. And since that year, almost every year, some well-known preacher in America has been invited to give a series of lectures on preaching at Yale Divinity School. 
we learn a whole lot about American history and life from those lectures. It's fascinating. But Henry Ward Beecher, Lyman's son, inaugurated that lecture series with his first lecture, and he showed up, he got a room at the hotel, and he had absolutely no idea what he was going to say. Give me the heebie-jeebies just thinking of that. He got up in the room in his hotel that morning and he smeared the shaving cream all over his face. Frederick Beekner says in his little book, Telling the Truth, Beecher Lectures from 1977, he says, Henry Ward, he got up, looked in the mirror, smeared the shaving cream on his face, thrashing around, trying to shave. Finally, in his ruminations, he decided what he was going to speak on to this august assembly of pastors and scholars. And he ran from the shaving table over to the desk, and there he, he outlined his speech. And when he had it outlined, he went back to the shaving bowl, put the razor to his face, and commenced to cut himself terribly. You ever nicked yourself shaving? he bled all over the place. He went and he delivered the lecture series. What was true about Henry Ward was that he was one of the great preachers, but inside of himself he was deeply troubled at the very pinnacle of, of his success he was having an adulterous affair with a woman in his church. And he was bound up on the inside. And out of that story, Frederick Buechner tells, he shaped his lectures around the gospel as being tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And he says, before the gospel can be good news to us, it must first be bad news. And that is the message that Matthew is seeking to bring home to the church in every generation that the gospel reveals the need of human nature to be saved, to be rescued. It fully acknowledges the power of sin and in the human imagination. And if that issue of sin is not dealt with, there is no good news. And so, in a sense, when we listen to the Gospels, we are looking into the mirror as Henry, Henry Ward Beecher did. We are seeing ourselves. And we see not only the face that we are shaving, but also to the depths of our need. That's the tragedy of the human condition. But it's also a comedy. Because what Henry Ward Beecher discovered in his own life experience, that while his face may have been nicked and he was bleeding all over the place, there was one already who had bled for him. Jesus. And who by his life, death, and resurrection, proclaimed the good news that people like Henry Ward and all of us, Bathsheba, David, Solomon, are unconditionally accepted and loved by God just as we are in all of our brokenness in this ugly human family filled with so much violence and warfare and greed and immoralities. God loves us 
Nevertheless. And if that doesn't cause you to laugh, nothing will. And seeing ourselves in the mirror and to understand that someone else has stepped there beside us and says to us, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I forgive you. And Bigner said the gospel then is not just tragedy and comedy, but it's a fairy tale because this is the message that releases the potential that God has built into every one of us and empowers us to become persons that we never thought that we could become, forgiven sinners, given the mind of Christ, empowered to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to be incorporated into a great family that's not just an ugly family, but a family that lives by the mercies of God. That's the gospel. And a part of me doesn't like it. Part of me wants to turn away from it. Another big part of me realizes that this saved my life, that God saved me in Jesus. And he loves this world just as it is. And his intention is to set right all that is wrong in this world and to bring us all one day into the new creation in which all will be made well and there will be perfection because we will be with God, not before Jesus comes again. But this message is the very foundation of the hope of our lives and the hope of all of history. This is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus, because that event is the turning point in all of human history. The moment when we begin to learn that God is acting to reconcile us, taking the raw materials of all of life and molding them into what God has always intended this creation and human life to be. But he leaves us with the choice of either identifying with this genealogy with every name in it and knowing that it's our story or turning our back upon it. Either we say yes to this genealogy and to the Messiah or we wander into the darkness. May this day, may this Advent season be a time in which we surrender to the goodness of God who created us and redeemed us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, we confess we do not understand the perplexity of these people's lives about which we've been reading and studying and preaching. We thank you for the great prayers that David wrote, for the wisdom of Solomon, for the promise that they passed on to future generations. We thank you for Bathsheba, who in many ways was a victim, an innocent person. We can only think how many in history have had the same experience. We ask that you will make us whole and help us to see one another as your children, created in your image to be valued, affirmed, and encouraged. May our lives reflect the mystery of that fairy tale of salvation as we are made whole over a lifetime. We ask in your name. Amen.
we present our morning offering. as scarlet in Jesus Christ they are now white as snow church let's stand as we sing what child is this Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for the Lord Jesus, child of promise and the sign of hope, who came from a distance far beyond our reach and who is closer to us than we are to ourselves. He remains with us in our own days of expectation that we may realize what is just 
true, beautiful, and good. By the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live with us, one God, now and forever. We pray that with the promise of his birth, that peace on earth may soon be fulfilled, both in our troubled hearts and our troubled world. We lift up our own church during this Christmas season, praying for all who walk through these doors. Make them receptive to your word and grace and cause them to feel welcomed. In response to our faith, we bring these tithes and offerings. We pray that they'll be used for your glory, for the sake of Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We go forth to carry this love in our hearts in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing that whatever may be happening in our lives, that God is at work in the raw materials of our lives to bring us to the fullness of life. Amen.